This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone, it's time for another State of the Union of what's happened in the world of tennis. Patrick McEnroe here holding court. And as we look ahead here, we're in early August, 3rd of August. Today is Monday. And uh, it seems like the U.S. Open is a go. Of course, that's set to begin at the end of this month. The first official tournament is now taking place. Official meaning for ranking points. That's on the WTA side. <clears throat> a tournament, excuse me, going on in Palermo, Italy. So that event just got underway this weekend. An all-European uh, field there. There was one positive test during the qualifying. So one player was forced to pull out of the tournament. But at the moment... It sounds like everything else is A-OK. Over here on the United States side, World Team Tennis just finished up their season. They had all their teams uh, in a bubble in, at the Greenbrier Resort, which is in West Virginia. It's had a lot of tennis events over the years, sort of an old-fashioned southern-type uh, tennis club uh, with a big hotel there as well. So all the players on all the teams were there at the Greenbrier for well over three weeks Season finished up just over this past week. And the New York Empire team that I actually coached the first year, they came into being back at uh, Forest Hills Tennis Club in Westside, Westside Tennis Club in Forest Hills a number of years ago, actually took the title. So that was pretty uh, exciting. They had Kim Kleisters returning, playing on their team, Jack Sock as well. And uh, nice to see Kim Kleisters back. And I actually played quite well during <clears throat> World Team Tennis as well beating, amongst others, Sophia Kennan, who, of course, won the Australian Open. But as far as professional tennis goes at this stage, let's think about where we are for a moment. We've seen lots of exhibition events going on in Europe. Uh, the UTS tournament, Patrick Mortagalu organized that. That's gone off pretty well without a hitch. Of course, the Novak Djokovic event was a disaster just over six weeks ago, the one in Serbia. But since then... Uh, pretty much all the events that have gone on, a couple exhibition events here in the U.S. as well, mostly in Europe, uh, in England and Great Britain. They've had a couple events there. Between The Battle of the Brits went on. Uh, I don't know if you happen to see the end of the match between Dan Evans uh, and Kyle Edmund, two of the top, the higher-ranked players from uh, Great Britain. Of course, Andy Murray uh, working his way back. But at the end of the match, which was a pretty hard fought two-set win for Dan Evans, 6-4, 6-4. They did, you know, there's no shaking hands. or just tapping rackets. So Evans put his racket out to um, acknowledge his opponent, and Edmund sort of snapped at his racket. Uh, I didn't see most of the match. I just saw the highlights. So obviously there was some tension going on, which in a way is a good sign because you're seeing, I think, the players, the competitive juice is coming back. Uh, and, of course, everyone maybe looking forward is the wrong phrase, but sort of getting set for what could happen uh, at the U.S. Open. And, of course, Cincinnati is known as a Western and Southern Open, which is one of the bigger events on the men's tour, medium-sized event on the women's tour. It's, a, it's one of the big lead-up tournaments traditionally to the U.S. Open. It happens in mid-August along with another big event in Canada. <clears throat> that event has been canceled for this summer. But Cincinnati, because it's owned by the USTA, which runs the U.S. Open event, uh, made the decision months ago to move Cincinnati to the same location in New York, where the U.S. Open is played at Flushing Meadows in Flushing, Queens. So <clears throat> it's going to be extremely uh, 
interesting to see how it plays out because you've got the players essentially coming into what's being called the New York bubble. Okay, so the players will be coming from all over the world. We'll get into the details of some of the players who have already decided not to come. But I think um, the majority of the players will come. Now, of course, the big question is, will the top players, will the big-name players come? The one we've heard already that is not coming is the number one player from Australia, Ashley Barty, deciding not to make the trip from down under. They've had an outbreak there recently in the state of Victoria, which is in Melbourne, Australia, which, of course, is where the Australian Open is held every year. So that puts that somewhat up in the air for even January as we look ahead down the road to what could happen in 2021. But if you look at the U.S. Open and Cincinnati, which will be essentially the week before the U.S. Open is set to start, uh, again, I said at the end of August. So you've got about an eight-day window where they will play the U.S. Open. August 15th is the day that they will open the facility in New York at the U.S. Open. So here's how the USTA is attempting to make this work, what I call the New York bubble. Players will fly in from wherever they're coming from. Obviously, they're getting a little special waiver that they can use to get into the country, um, quarantine for, I believe it's going to be 48 hours. There's been different talk. Is it 48 or 72 hours? They'll get picked up at the airport by an official from the U.S. Open. They will go straight to one of two tournament hotels, both of which uh, located in Long Island. Uh, the players will, there'll be a few players apparently that have opted to rent their own properties and houses, et cetera, but I'm told that that number is very few. Of course, you could probably guess who those players will be, the, the wealthiest and the ones with the most resources. Um, those players obviously will, be, I, I guess, be handled slightly differently when it comes to the testing, et cetera, but the players that go straight to one of the two tournament hotels, again, which will be the he- a heavy majority of the players and their teams, uh, will be tested immediately upon arriving at that hotel. Uh, when the test result comes back, they say will be within 24 hours. That player will then be, and, and the player's coach, by the way, and, and or physio. So I'm told the coach and the physio at the moment will also be allowed. Now, they'll have to get tested as well. If they get the the test comes back negative within 24 hours, uh, whatever it may be, they will then be issued their credential so that they can get into the grounds at the Billie Jean King USTA National Tennis Center. Now, from that point forward, whatever day they come into New York to prepare either to play just the U.S. Open or Cincinnati and the U.S. Open, that player will be able to be in the hotel, transportation back and forth to the the compound, and that's it. Not allowed to go anywhere else. Of course, the logistical uh, arrangements that the USA have had to put in place, whether it's for food, for catering, on-site at the hotel, delivery services. So just imagine all those things that have to be ironed out so that you're limiting the potential for uh, anybody to bring the virus into this so-called bubble or obviously for a player to get it and then bring it into the bubble. Now, the question then becomes, how often will the players be tested uh, once competition has begun? And I've heard anywhere from every other day 
to before their match to once a week. I don't think they've ironed that detail out entirely yet. But what I have heard is that if any player tests positive uh, during the competition, whether it's Cincinnati or the U.S. Open, they will have to be withdrawn from the tournament. So, I mean, that, that here's the worst-case scenario, right? You get to the second week of the U.S. Open, quarterfinals, semifinals, what have you, and a player tests positive at that point. And, uh, I mean, obviously it would be horrible for any player that happens in the first or second round as well. So they are expecting that there will be positive tests throughout. Uh, and, obviously, we've seen uh, other sports opening up, some much more successfully than others. The ones that seemingly are having the most trouble, for the most part, seems to be baseball. Again, because those players are moving around a lot more. They're going from city to city. Yes, they're supposed to you know, do all the social distancing and wearing the mask, et cetera. But we know how this virus uh, transmits so easily. The NBA uh, is having lots of success. Uh, not only the games are, have been quite entertaining, but the bubble that they've created in Orlando at the Disney World Complex so far seemingly has worked very well. The NBA players, you know, they're, in, they're basically in one location, um, not able to leave at all, food, everything's taken care of, transportation back and forth to each, of the, to each of their games, practices, and so on. So that's essentially what the USTA is looking to do, and I think I've realized from the start that this is what they have to do to be able to make this work in New York, to be able to get the clearance from the New York state government, from the federal government as well, which they have gotten. And sort of the last piece of the puzzle is, do the players feel comfortable enough to make the trip? Now, the other question I've been getting from a lot of you, a lot of people that follow me on Twitter, because I did put out that I'll be doing this podcast, and I asked you what you thought uh, topics I should discuss. And of course, with the U.S. Open looming, uh, most of the comments and questions related to the U.S. Open, some of you thought, including CMT, that the U.S. Open, here's what CMT said, the U.S. Open should not be. Tennis shouldn't come back until 2021. Winner will have an asterisk for me. Well, I think winner will have CMT and asterisk for everybody. Uh, but at the same time, you could certainly make that argument for all the other sports. By the way, there's lots of sports that have started even long before we did in the United States in Europe with no fans, uh, Premier League soccer, football, as they call it over there in England and other parts of Europe as well. So uh, I don't buy that argument that there's an asterisk next to it. Of course, this is totally different from anything we've seen. Um, there were player strikes in the past that affected Wimbledon and other majors. Uh, players didn't play. There's no asterisk there. I mean, people sort of know looking back. Now, if you tell me that five of the top 10 or six of the top 10 don't show up, um, will that uh, affect how history looks at it if uh, a player ranked 15 or 20 in the world wins it? Yeah, I guess it will. But I'm expecting, again, most of the top players will show up. I, t I mentioned Ashley Bard has already said that she's not. Uh, Djokovic, Nadal, of course, those are the, the two big guys on the men's side as Roger Federer's out with um, the knee injury. We did see some pictures recently of Roger hiking in Switzerland, as he likes to do often, particularly when he's coming back from a knee injury. So he's planning, hoping to come back in 2021. A couple of people also said, why go to best of five? Uh, why not play, <clears throat> excuse me, best of three? Kendra, for example, how about try best of three? That's been discussed. Uh, 
I believe by the U.S. Open, uh, I, not I believe, I know, by the USTA officials and the U.S. Open. Uh, but the players, I think, on the men's side have never brought that up. And, you know, there have been some people also who have said to me on Twitter, including, including my good friend Liz Clark, who writes for the Washington Post for many years, said, what about the feasibility of the two-slam turnaround in six weeks? Is it possible? Uh, even for, you know, in best of five, for example. So that would be an argument to go to two out of three. I think that's an argument um, that, that to me is not as relevant for this particular situation. First of all, the players, of course, you're a little worried about them coming in 100% fit from a match perspective. Physically, they should all be in great shape because they've been able to train for months. Cincinnati is a tournament that they've put there. It it, precisely for that reason, to give the players the opportunity to sort of work their way into match condition. Obviously, if you show up and you lose in the first round, you know, other players will be there. You stay in that location. You can play practice sets, practice matches, et cetera, which is what the players will do. But I don't think it's a huge ask to play best of five for these top players. Remember, it's only going to be the top, the players that get to this quarter semis that are even in New York through through that second week of the U.S. Open. Everybody else will be gone. They'll be back to Europe and getting set for the clay court season. Of course, that seems to be somewhat in question, too, as Madrid, Rome, and Paris set to be the schedule on the red clay. But I'm, we're now hearing that Madrid could quite possibly be canceled or at least be played uh, with no fans at the moment. So I don't think that the... Uh, that would really affect, you know, joke. You're talking about the, the, the fittest players. So it's likely going to be, if they all show up uh, on the men's side, Djokovic, Nadal, team, Sitsipas, you know, go down the list of the top players, Medvedev, et cetera. Uh, and I don't have any question that those players could turn around reasonably quickly and get ready from a best of five on hard court to be able to, remember, it's got a couple of weeks. So the, the two events right after the U.S. Open, Madrid, and Rome, all, those are both two out of three sets on clay. So I don't think that uh, is, a, is a large issue at all. Um, Nicholas says to me, COVID-19 continuing impact on events around the world and also rankings, how are they supposed to work? Well, the, the ATP and the WTA made the decision to uh, freeze the rankings and, and actually use more of a two-year system now. It's no, normally a rolling system over one year. So I think that basically solves that issue. Uh, so the players, essentially their rankings will basically stay the same through this year it, 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 as the ranking system works anyway. The points you earn fall off at the end of a whole year. So now it'll be uh, tailored to, to work over two years, which is something golf has done multiple years. And I think tennis should look at that very seriously for the future as well. Another thing that'll look a little bit different this year at the U.S. Open will be there will be no lines judges on all the courts except the two main show, show courts. So Hawkeye is the technology that's used for the replay system. World Team Tennis used it entirely throughout their season this uh, past month. Uh, obviously, it's used for challenges at the highest level of the pro game. Uh, but it'll be interesting this year because the USDA deciding to limit the amount of people, obviously, on site, <clears throat> excuse me, because of the pandemic. So there will be lines people only on the two main show courts. I think this is inevitable that this will continue in the pro game. Uh, obviously, Hawkeye is, is very reliable. Is it 100% accurate? Probably not, but it's certainly more accurate than the human eye. And uh, while it's a great thing to have 
individuals that can be lines people that can make money. You know, essentially there are lines people that travel the world being lines people. You know, God bless them. I think that's something that's certainly a, a nice part of the game. But as the game uh, begins to continues to evolve, and certainly there's cost cutting that has to go on because of this pandemic and all sorts of businesses. And I think tennis is part of it. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot more of that in big tournaments. The technology works well. Uh, and and US, for the USDA, at least this year, it's a pretty easy decision to make that call. Uh, there's probably a lot of internal uh, pressure from the U.S. Tennis Association and others, you know, whether it's the uh, over in England at Wimbledon, the Lawn Tennis Association, you know, it keeps a lot of people employed that are give, have certainly given a lot to the game. That can be lines people. But, um, you know, I think this is sort of part of the process of what likely needs to happen so that uh, the revenues continue to, can continue to go up. Uh, for the players and the tournaments, you know, a lot of tournaments have trouble making their budgets. I'm not talking about the majors. I'm talking about the rest of the tournament. So it seems to me likely that this will continue at the end of the day. Um, I think it's part of the financial stability of the future of the game. So that will be uh, something new and different at this year's U.S. Open. Let's get into the players now and who we think will show up. There's obviously question marks about a couple of the top male players. I say I would say most particularly Rafael Nadal. There's been video of him practicing quite a bit that he's put out on his social media of him practicing on clay, and many have assumed that, well, he'll, he's just going to gear up for the clay court swing, although now – that appears possibly to be in danger with Madrid, like possibly being canceled, um, which would, would be the first tournament on the European red clay, which is due to start uh, the day after the U.S. Open ends. So there were many uh, of us speculating that Rafa would decide not to show up in New York. He's expressed some concerns just himself. Obviously, we all have them about the pandemic, but apparently the numbers are, are going up a bit in Spain. Uh, so that may be... Uh, part of the reason why Rafael Nadal decides not to come. I happen to think that most, if not all, of the other top players will come. As I mentioned earlier, Federer will take a pass because of the knee injury, nothing to do with COVID or the pandemic. He had to have a second surgery on that knee. Uh, I think Djokovic is, is, is going to show he ordered a case of balls from the USDA, the U.S. Open balls, a couple of weeks ago to prepare himself, apparently, to play on the hard court. Obviously, he's the best hard court player, though, although Nadal's won more U.S. Opens than Djokovic. Why is that, many people ask? I think, well, obviously, Nadal's a great hard court player as well, but I think he likes the conditions in New York generally are a bit hotter the ball bounces a bit more. Remember the Australian Open, of course, the heat is a factor. It's, it's, it can be brutally hot there. But especially in week two of the Australian Open, most of the matches are played at night under the lights. And the, the temperature goes down a lot, a lot more normally than it does in New York. And that tends to make the courts be not quite as bouncy. It really changes the conditions. Where the U.S. Open... I don't think it changes them that much from day to night. The temperature drop usually isn't as extreme. It's windier normally in New York, although with the new Arthur Ashe Stadium roof, that hasn't been as much of a factor. And generally, Nadal is an unbelievable wind player. He, he has so much margin of error on his shots. So over the years, you know, if he's managing windy conditions, super hot, jumpy conditions, he, I think, does a little bit better in those conditions. Obviously, Djokovic is, to me, still the best hardcourt player. If you look at his record, the Australian, he's dominated that 
over the years. But Nadal has had his best major uh, outside of the French at the U.S. Open. So it, that, to, to me, is the big question mark. Will Rafa show up? I'm going to say yes at this point, which I think goes against the grain. I think Madrid is very much in question, and I think Nadal has entered both Cincinnati and New York. He's on the entry list. That's probably more of a political move to um, please the USTA and the ATP to say, look, just enter. You can pull out a lot later. Now, normally you have to pull out of a tournament well in advance, but in this case, because of the pandemic, uh, they've loosened up that rule considerably. And and by the way, Simona Halep, who has said numerous times that she wasn't going to come to New York because of the pandemic, is also on the entry list for the U.S. Open. So maybe she's having some second thoughts. Maybe if the players are comfortable that the precautions and the protocols that the USDA are taking are sufficient enough to uh, – there's no guarantee, obviously, but to almost guarantee that things will be healthy and that they won't get exposed to the virus. I could see Halep possibly changing her mind. Again, I think many of the other top women will be there. Uh, as I said earlier, Ash Barty, the number one player uh, in the world, has decided not to make the trip from Australia. And speaking of Australia, of course, he always makes news. That's the... Um, Mercurial Nick Kyrgios, who I happen to like as an individual uh, because I've been able to spend some time with him over the years at the Labor Cup where I've been the, uh, the coach alongside my brother who has been the captain. So Kyrgios has many great qualities. He's a, he's, he's a really good person, human being off the court. But you got to be honest. I mean, some of the things the guy's done on the court have been just totally outrageous, Most, mostly tanking matches, which he's done consistently. So for him to call out various players, you, you have to expect that he's going to get a lot of pushback from the other players because a lot of other players, this is particularly in reference to Borna Chorich, who he called out um, recently, you know, said he was dumb or, you know, his game was boring. Well, his game is boring, but it's pretty effective. But Kyrgios is much more exciting to watch. Uh, but much more up and down. And, and George is a guy that, in my opinion, maximized what he has. Kyrgios has done nothing even close to that because he's got so much potential. Now, Kyrgios is a, is a pretty smart guy. Um, believe it or not, he's just got a bit of a screw loose when it comes to how he competes on the court day in, day out, which has hurt him over the years. So you can't just, if you're him, you can't just say, like, we're going to forget about that. We're going to forget the times that you basically completely tanked, walked off the court, um, said outrageous things to Stan Wawrinka during a match in Canada. So I respect Kyrgios for um, making the statement that he did, that he's not coming, looking out for, you know, the health of the, of the world and the country and, and the world at large and where he's from in Australia. But I don't think you go to the, the point where you start calling out other players. I don't like that. Uh, you know, Nick obviously is Nick. He'll do what he wants to do. Uh, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. So Kyrgios is out. Uh, again, I think most of the other top guys will show up. You'll see them at Cincinnati. The fields come out for that as well. By the way, Bianca Andrescu, who won the title last year, she's also been dealing with injuries throughout mo most of this year. Uh, and I think it's highly unlikely that she will be in New York to defend her title. So Nadal won it last year. Uh, that's a question mark on the guy's side. Andrescu on the women's side uh, will likely not be there. All right, let's go back to my Twitter now. I'll just make sure I got, uh, you know, a lot of people were chiming in about some questions about umpires, ball kids. Okay, that was Regina Dwyer. I answered that. Um, 
U.S. Open, Bob Johnson's, the ridiculously large entourages that even rank 20 to 30 travel. That's true. The entourages have gotten a lot bigger over the years, not just for the top players, but obviously they can afford it more than anybody else. But I'm told that this year there'll only be two players max, at least in the beginning of the tournament, um, that will be able to accompany the players. That will be the coach and the physio. Initially, it was just going to be the coach, but now it looks like they're going to make it so that uh, you can have two people there. Now, that could loosen up. I'm getting some signs um, internally that maybe as the field dwindles, which happens quickly in a, in a major. Remember, it's, you, know, you lose half your players in the first couple of days. So the, the, the big deal for the USTA and for the operation of the event is the total number of people that can come on site. Right? That's one of the guidelines that I think that they worked on with, with, with uh, New York State officials. I believe the number is 2,000. So obviously, as many players uh, depart and leave, maybe that opens up uh, for some of the other players that are still in the tournament to have more people in their entourage. Now, they can obviously bring as many people to New York as they want, uh, but that doesn't mean that they can get them into the grounds at the U.S. Open. So looking forward to hopefully seeing some uh, big-time tennis back in New York City. Of course, the tournament going on right now in Palermo in Italy, the first official tournament on the WTA side. So that continues to go on. World Team Tennis, I think, was a huge success this year. As I said, the New York Empire winning it, a team that I was uh, lucky enough to coach when they started up a number of years ago at the Westside Tennis Club in Forest Hill. So well done to that team. And uh, they were able to control the environment there at the Greenbrier, Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. Obviously, way more complicated in New York at the U.S. Open. But I think you got to give credit to the USTA for doing a tremendous amount of legwork, for trying to get this done. I've been watching some of the other sports on TV. The NBA, I think, has been particularly good, um, you know, with the, 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 the fans uh, sort of looking like they're on camera, like in the seats to the side, a little crowd noise coming in. So I've been pushing ESPN, my employer, to let us hear the, the real sounds of the players playing. I think you'll, you'll enjoy that as fans watching it. Uh, maybe there'll be some sounds piped in on the changeovers, etc. I think, I think it should be a little bit of a mix and match to see what works and what the fans go for. But one thing I can tell you is that we need a lot more of this. You, the fans, interacting with, with us, broadcasting the matches. I think that's an opportunity for us at ESPN. That wraps up Holding Court State of the Union early August 2020. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.